today on Ag News Daily. It was so interesting. They'd have like 20 to 25 sheep just grazing along the side of the road. And they'd have one uh, sheep herder there 24 hours a day. Well, listeners, we're coming to you on... Oh gosh, Delaney, what is it, the 15th of the month already? Yes, that's right. Yesterday Wednesday. was Friday, remember? That's right. Wednesday, the 15th, Ag News Daily Edition, the latest headlines. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you? Good. You got me up bright and early today, even before the markets are getting close to open. Well, I realized so after little- I asked you this morning to record a little earlier, are your kids on spring break this week? That's correct. This is spring break. So they're probably sleeping in while dad has to go to work, right? (laughs) That's right. Yes. And it's so far been a pretty good week for spring break. We haven't had any moisture. They're still playing around with with what's left of the snow here in Iowa. We're probably going to get rid of that over the next couple of days as temperatures warm up. But there are still winter weather advisories in place for south central Nebraska up into the upper peninsula of Michigan. According to the National Weather Service, snow is expected for much of central eastern Nebraska today with accumulations of one to three inches. Hopefully that doesn't make it to us, but the biggest thing is going to be the wind, which is what we are going to feel. So south south and central Minnesota, meanwhile, could see seven inches of snow and a possible light glaze of ice with wind gusts up to 40 miles per hour. So it sounds like there's still a little bit of winter hanging around, but hopefully it stays north of us. Well, Tanner, a quick update from a story, story we've been following with the Silicon Valley banks. We're starting to see Wall Street and the banking industry calm back down. And Wall Street especially is a little less concerned that they were, won't be now bank failures. <laughs> Excuse me. We've also seen quite a few state banking associations and banks themselves issuing notes to customers saying that the models those banks are using are quite different from the ones that most traditional banks use. Tanner, did your bank send anything out to customers or did you have questions about that? Oh, yeah. I think I've probably answered between 40 and 50 phone calls over the last two days. Uh, made a couple, probably a dozen or so additional ones just to to try and get out in front of things. I think the main thing that uh, banks are focusing on is those that are close to or exceeded that FDIC insurance deposit limit, because that was definitely part of the headlines that had grasped. Plus, the Iowa Bankers Association has had multiple reps, plus the president of the association, Key and Penn, some pretty good articles that can be provided as resources. Absolutely, Tanner. But what else are you watching this morning for headlines? Well, I'll keep expanding on that. Uh, NPR did a really great article on Silicon Valley Bank and its history um, and due to its size. But the main key that we're learning about what what really drove this failure so quickly is a combination of financing structure as well as social media. So a big reason why the bank was considered closed and failed is there was a Twitter driven rally on deposits. So banks are only required by regulation to keep a percentage of their assets in liquid. So you could come and pull cash out. Um, But due to uh, sparked concerns over liquidity issues at the bank, Twitter really drove a lot of uh, folks in that California area 
to run on deposits, which forced the bank to close its door. But the reason the bank didn't have a significant amount of liquidity is <clears throat> their structure had such high deposits. Nearly 90% of their depositors had more than the FDIC insurance level, which is not typical of a bank. It actually reminds us of uh, like the early 1920s when banks held almost everybody's cash and they didn't make a lot of loans to where their investment team had invested in bonds that now carried a negative value. So even though they still had assets, they were not liquid because they had nearly $15 billion in bonds that or $15 billion in losses just coming from their bond portfolio. So if they wanted to liquidate their bond portfolio to give you the cash as you were coming in to make your withdrawal, uh, they were going to take a significant loss, and that's why they were deemed unstable. So NPR.org has a really good article if anybody wants to go read more on the history of the bank and how they got to where they were. Ooh, I think actually I would like to read that article, so you have to send it my way. I can do that. Well, I have just a final piece here to add to this story. And that's looking a little bit more at the Federal Reserve, because apparently a lot of fingers were being pointed at the Federal Reserve as to why this whole thing happened. But over the weekend, we saw a significant volume of long dated treasuries that were losing value as interest rates continued to push higher. Folks are saying that contributed to the assets falling relative to their liabilities and other issues. And a lot of critics have been blaming the Federal Reserve's rate hikes for some of these failures. Although, as we know, there's obviously quite a few other issues that went into this as well. But as some of those worries of bank failure have eased, we have seen some new odds placed on whether or not the Fed funds future will be raised later this week. Folks are saying there's about a 22% odd of no rate hike next Wednesday at the Federal Reserve meeting, while 78% saying are it's going to be a 25 point rate hike when a, ba a 50 point basis rate hike was expected a week ago. So now we're starting to see folks come back a little bit Tanner and, and say it's likely going to be a 0.25 instead of a 0.5 raise. Yeah, that would be uh, pretty bold for them to go with a full half a percent increase. That is for sure. Well, the number of H-2A temporary visas and certifications for temporary work were much higher in 2022 than in the past. The number of those agriculture used for agricultural jobs jumped again last year, about 370,000 temporary jobs were certified by the U.S. Department of Labor in 2022. This is again a program that's designed to help agricultural employers find help during times of need. Only around 80% of the number of jobs certified actually resulted in visas. So that means that there's 20% of the requests that went unfilled. Florida accounted for 14%, followed by California at 12, Georgia, Washington, and North Carolina rounding out the top five of states that use the most H-2A temporary visas in their workforce. Small businesses, including farms with less than 10 employees, accounted for nearly 65% of the jobs used to this program. Companies with 500 or more employees only accompanied 1% of the offerings for these H-2A workers. That is why there's continued focus on reform around the H-2A program, because even with 
these restrictions, the H-2A visa program has grown rapidly, says the USDA, and that is why it continues to remain a focus of theirs for future legislation. So that was a number that I had not expected to be so large, and the states made sense to me, Delaney, but I was uh, still a little surprised. Well, Tanner, speaking of other legislation, senators have reintroduced year-round E-15, and as we know, we have seen preliminary uh, passage of year-round E-15 for a couple of key states, but this is for the rest of the United States. We saw U.S. senators on Tuesday reintroduce legislation to allow the E-15 sales nationally as the ethanol industry continues to push for those sales to be allowed for this 2023 summer driving season that officially starts on June 1. The EPA launched about two weeks ago a public comment period on a proposal to grant petitions to those eight Midwestern states to allow year-round E15 permanently, but like I said, this would allow year-round E or this would allow summer driving E15 for the rest of the United States was launched Tuesday. And so now we will see this bill introduced on the floor officially, Tanner, before being voted on and hopefully passing. But it typically passes each year. So I would have a hard time believing it will fail this year. Right. Yeah, I'm sure if it does, there will be more headlines around the failure than with it passing as standard practice. Artificial turf made from soybeans is now getting more popular. The San Diego Zoo is where you can find it currently. The artificial turf is seen growing demand within the industry and is forecasted to be a $7 billion market by 2025. The Las Vegas Strip and San Diego Zoo, as well as Denver's airport and New York's Central Park, are the first targets for this product. The turf is made from soybeans and is going to be the next uh, this was poorly uh, forecasted by me, and, and I would say uh, terminology that maybe the writer of this article could have done better. The next best thing since sliced bread, Delaney, mm. uh, even better than soy-based asphalt and paved roadways. The United Soybean Board partnered with Sin Lawn, S-Y-N Lawn, to create this soy-based turf. The synthetic grass uses soybeans in the bio-based backing as the adhesive. And will now potentially in this product displace 60% of the petroleum-based polyurethane that has been used in this product before. This, again, was something that was released at Commodity Classic. It's also now out at the Vegas Farm Show. We at Sin Lawn are excited to partner with the Soybean Association, said the CEO. It's not just a tourist thing, but it can be used for sporting surfaces as well. So maybe we'll be looking at the uh, professional athletes playing on a soy-based turf in the near future. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? That'd be kind of neat. I'm sure we could get some good uh, podcast marketing with an, an Ag News Daily logo on the 50-yard line somewhere. Oh, that sounds powered good. Powered by soybeans. We're going to have to uh, crowdsource that one. <laughs> That's right. What else you got today? Well, a quick update here on the Grain Corridor deal. Turkey has officially entered into the discussions and asked to extend the deal 120 days, Tanner. And as we know, yesterday, Russia has signed off on a 60-day deal, but Ukraine has now rejected that deal. So it sounds like we are back to square one, and a lot of parties pushing for a 120-day extension instead of just a two-month or 60-day extension there. 
Yeah, I had also seen that. And then I just have one last piece for today. The USDA has announced that it has spent more than $670 million on avian influenza. And those are through payments to indemnified owners for their losses. The Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service told the news yesterday outlays now include more than $414 million in compensation for depopulated birds and eggs. $142 million to cull the flocks and dispose of the dead animals, and another $114 million in personnel and state-certified workers to maintain and monitor these agreements. So that is a significant investment, and hopefully we don't see another ramp-up of the surge and spread of avian influenza. I agree with that there, Tanner, but I think I am all out of news for today other than taking a look here at the overnight markets as we head into the opening session here today, seeing some weakness in the grain markets here. December new crop corn is down about two pennies in the overnight at 557. New crop soybeans down seven and a quarter cent at 1331. May hard red winter wheat is the only market right now pushing a little higher, just a quarter of a cent at 818. Livestock markets and a reminder of where they will open this morning. April live cattle will open at a buck sixty-three oh five. April feeders at a dollar ninety-five, and April lean hogs at eighty-five forty. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our interview conversation for today. What do you search when you're in the market to buy farm equipment? For 45 years, Fastline Marketing Group has served the farming community with quality farm equipment listings for tractors, combines, hay and forage equipment, lawn and garden equipment, and more. Check out Fastline.com for availability on all your favorite makes and models of equipment. And if you're an equipment dealer, put Fastline's industry-leading social media following and marketing expertise to work for you. Fastline Marketing Group is the farmer resource and marketing partner of choice in the agriculture industry. Still down here at Commodity Classic, chatting with a couple of Iowa Corn Grower Association members about the iLead 10 class and program. Barb Kastner, a West Central Iowa farmer, as well as on the board, and Neil Crumman, a Northwest Iowa farmer, both part of this year's iLead 10 class. And you guys had a recent international trip, which we'll get to here in just a little minute, because as I understand, that was fairly recent as you traveled overseas, and now you're down here at Commodity Classic. But Barb and Neil, thank Thanks for joining us. I'll start first with you, Barb. Tell us a little bit about your background and your farm uh, in West Central Iowa. Okay, I um, worked for Farm Credit Services of America for 40 some years, sold crop insurance, and uh, also I was head of accounting for so many years too. Um, We have farmed, my husband and I, since 1976 in Guthrie County, and now we're bringing our son into the operation with us and getting ready to transition over. And uh, I was privileged enough to be uh, one of the iLead 10 classmates. And we just did get back from our international mission to Spain and Morocco. Yeah, I'm Neil Crewman uh, from Northwest Iowa, a little small town called Ling Grove. And uh, I graduated Iowa State 2011. And in a couple of years, then I took over the family farm. Um, it was being rented out to a neighbor, so it was a pretty easy transition for my parents. But yeah, me and my wife, do that we raise corn and soybeans and sheep and goats 
So Neil, I'm curious, why did you decide to, well, first let's, let's take a step back because we have listeners from outside of the state of Iowa. So our Iowa listeners might, might be very familiar with Iowa Corn Growers iLead program. But for those of our listeners from other states, tell us what is the iLead program? So iLead program is a leadership program that Iowa Corn does a, have roughly 20 people that have to apply, interview, and get accepted into it. And then we, uh, we tour some places in Iowa, we tour some places in the U.S., and then we go on a large or longer um, international industry tour just to learn more about ag- agriculture, learn about emerging corn markets, and how we can do to help fill those markets and make connections that we can use later on down the road. So why did you, Neil, and Barb, I'm coming to you too, why did you decide to apply? And obviously you were selected, but why did you decide to apply? And Because it's a lot of time that you're committing to be part of this program. As you mentioned, you've got quite a, quite a few trips, one of which is a longer international trip. So you're taking time away from your farm, your family, and your business. Well, I didn't say no is the number one thing I didn't do. But uh, no, and I, I had a friend I went to college with. He uh, presented this trip, presented this group, and I thought, you know what, uh, I feel like I can help and learn something and bring something back to my community, to my state, to anybody that's a corn grower or non-corn grower, just to promote our brand and promote what we do. And I just worked in the agriculture industry for so many years that I just enjoy agriculture. And one of uh, the ILE 9 classmates came up to me and said, you need to apply for this uh, opportunity also for ILE. And so I did apply and I was accepted and I just had a fantastic time with it. So as Neil was mentioning there, you guys have lots of time that you're spending together as a class. You're going through training sessions, you're talking about lobbying, uh, you're making these connections internally with your group, but then you're also going on some of these international and neat trips outside of just the state of Iowa. You guys went to Spain and Morocco just recently what was that like for you, Barb? Have you been out of the country before? I have been. I've been uh, over on a Rhine River cruise, but not something like this. It was so fascinating to see the agriculture uh, and the difference in how things are, are raised in different countries. Like we got to see olive factories and we got to see wine being produced in Spain. But when we got to Morocco, it was more of like the phosphate industry and um citrus, which I've never seen so many (laughs) tangerines in my life as we did there. And uh, then we also got to see feed mills where they produce a lot of feed for the poultry industry. And uh, we just had a lot of different agriculture. And we got to go to a training facility, FISA, which um, they they bring people from all over Africa and they train them how to uh, work on the poultry industry and how to, you know, raise the chickens from one day old, and it, we just had a fascinating experience in the agriculture. Neil, was there anything that stuck out to you during the trip? Well, uh, it's kind of amazing. You go all across the Atlantic Ocean, and like a lot of things are the same. Like, I mean, even the winery stuff, we have a winery right across the road from where I live, but then they're just doing it bigger and longer, and just the history. And then you go to Morocco, where uh, we live, where I live, it's Tyson there, vertically integrated poultry, turkeys, and then they're almost doing the same exact thing, just bigger in Morocco, and even more diverse, because there's there's 
any type of feed going out, bulk feed, bag feed, and it's just like they cover so many needs that it like blows my mind that they can do that in one facility. So, well, and then the fertilizer plant, I mean, that thing was huge. And the fact that they can just move that much product through Morocco, which you don't really think of as like a really big country that produces all these um, goods and services. But yeah, no, that was just incredible. It was a once in a lifetime trip for me. Yeah, and I think it certainly changes your perspective as to farmers in other countries, they deal with the same challenges that we deal with in Iowa. They have government policy that they have to deal with. They have weather issues, the same as we have in Iowa and in the United States. So it's it's just interesting too to know, hey, we may grow different crops. We may be completely different sizes, but we're dealing with a lot of the, the same challenges and opportunities as farmers in Morocco or farmers in Spain. Were you guys able to have some of those conversations with farmers uh, locally in the two countries as well? Um, we didn't get to talk to just regular farmers, but we got to see how they raised their, uh, like the sheep. It was so interesting. They'd have like 20 to 25 sheep just grazing along the side of the road. And they'd have one uh, sheep herder there 24 hours a day. And the cattle, they'd have maybe three cattle for a family farm. And they just staked them out in the grass. And then they'd move them around, you know, during the day. So much different than what, no fences over there because if you had a fence, you would offend your neighbor. So it, that was just really different. But we didn't get to spend a lot of time just with an individual, other than we did one cattle uh, producer, and he, he was a 10,000 uh, head feeder operation. And most of the cattle came from Brazil. And he had his own processing plant on his ground, and uh, so they did all the slaughtering and, and processing right there to sell to the grocery stores. How, how interesting. I'm sure just the stories, the pictures that you have, like you said, they're going to be a lifelong impact for you. But I know part of the iLead program's mission is to develop agricultural leaders within the state of Iowa. So you're not only getting to go on this cool trip and connect with these other fellow farmers and people of agriculture, but after you are out of the program, it's how do you continue that momentum? How do you continue what you've learned and build upon? So Barb, what's your plans on how you're going to be a leader within this space of agriculture? You already are, obviously, because otherwise you wouldn't have been picked for the iLead program. But how do you continue that momentum after the program wraps up? Well, I ran for the, the Iowa Corn Grower Association board, and I was elected last year. I'll have to run again this year because I fulfilled a person's one-year term. But I just so enjoy being around all the people that I work with on the corn board and all the different ethanol issues and the farm bill issues and everything that's going on right now with corn that I want to keep doing that for a while. Neil, how do you make an impact in the state of Iowa or in the U.S. agriculture for that matter? Well, uh, I can say Eileen did strike a nerve where, I mean, I went 10 years out of college, didn't, I mean, help with 4-H local stuff, but, and I still want to do that because I think local level, that's where you yourself can make an impact and see the returns immediately, but I'm definitely going to try to stay at least state level, try to stay involved, stay in leadership groups, try to I mean, be a director of something, whether it's Iowa corn, maybe in Iowa soybean. But no, it's, it's fun. Um, you need good people in those programs and in those positions, because otherwise those positions and programs, they, they don't maintain their integrity and they kind of lose uh, the reputation. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for joining today on the podcast. Certainly appreciate hearing your insight from the trip. And I'm sure you've got so many other stories. We just scratched the surface. But thanks again for your time. Thank you very much. in a great conversation there. I think that you and I should apply for iLead. I don't know why we haven't. Yeah, I think that would get some really great experience out of that. You know, one would always say there's just not enough time in the day, but that's probably a program you would make time for. That's true. I think you are required to make time for it as they were sharing there. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, listeners, stick around with us. We've got two more days of great news and headlines as well as conversations to share with you. Don't be afraid to reach out on social media and let us know who we should be talking to. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 